Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Well, I am honored. I'm absolutely delighted to be with you uh, this morning and and also for uh, for the next two weeks. Uh, There's such a wonderful and joyful atmosphere in uh, in this place and it's pretty evident to me that the the bright presence of God is uh, is is here and it's really a blessing to be with you this morning whenever whenever I'm asked to um, bring a message from God's word I'll have to be honest with you the first question I ask myself is not uh, what do these people need to hear I don't know what you need to hear it, that does factor a bit into the equation, but it's not the first question that I ask myself. The first question I ask is, uh, God, what do you want to say to me? And uh, this is what I've come up with. Um, in this day and age, and in this world in which we live, I realize more and more that I need to hear about God's mercy when I look at the television news and I sometimes see people protesting and, and they're angry and they're upset and often for good reason, sometimes they're carrying these placards that say no justice, no peace. There is so much injustice in our world today and I, I agree that God does call us to act justly, to do justice. Micah 6a Micah 6, 8 says, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. But he also asks us to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And I think our world needs mercy. Maybe more than justice, our world needs mercy. And I'm trying to discover more and more what it means to really love mercy in our world today. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And in 2024, uh, I have to tell you, I need God's mercy. I, I think you probably need it too. I know our families need it, our community needs it, and our world needs it. And so it's the first Sunday of the new year. What a privilege to be with you this morning. Yesterday was the day in the Christian calendar known as Epiphany. And in many of the liturgical expressions of Christianity, Epiphany is the celebration of the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles as represented by the Magi, the wise men. And what better way is there to start a new year than by having a fresh and bright and radiant epiphany, uh, a manifestation of Jesus. I, I realize that I can't give that to you in one sermon or three sermons for that matter. I can't give you a comprehensive picture of who Jesus is because there's so much to know about him. But I'm praying this morning that we can catch one little glimpse Maybe one 
one little piece of the puzzle that reveals who Jesus is to us. And I'm praying that through God's word, Jesus will manifest himself to us this morning. I particularly like those passages of scripture where Jesus paints these word pictures of himself. He describes himself for us. He says things like, I am the light of the world. I I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. And all of these descriptions give us uh, some aspects of who Jesus is, like, like, like the many facets on a diamond. They each give us a reflection of his glory. And sometimes Jesus points us back to the Old Testament events there in the Old Testament, and he says to his people, he says, remember that? Remember when that happened? Like, like in John chapter 3, when he's, when he's interacting with uh, this man called Nicodemus, who was Israel's teacher. He says, Nicodemus, you're Israel's teacher. You know all about this. Remember when Moses was out there in the desert and he lifted up this snake on a pole and and people looked at that snake on the pole and, and if they looked at it, they would be healed and they would live? Do Do you remember that story, Nicodemus? Jesus says, that's me. He says, just like Moses lifted that snake on the pole, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And that whole discussion leads up to that probably most common of all verses, John 3, 16, where it says, for God so loved the world. In this way, God loved the world. In the same way that when the snake was lifted on the pole, people looked. When people looked at the Son of Man on the cross and they believe that they would not die and they would have everlasting life. Jesus gives people these pictures of himself. Another place in John 8, 58, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. And that passage, he's hearkening back to that burning bush experience where God appears to Moses and identifies himself as I am. And Jesus is saying, I am that God. I I am the God of the burning bush. I'm, I'm the God of deliverance. That's a picture of who I am. The picture that I want to leave with you this morning is the very first picture that Jesus paints of himself. Once again, he goes back to the Old Testament. And once again, he, he says, uh, re- remember that story? That's a picture of me. Th- this is the first picture that Jesus paints of himself. It's found in John chapter 1. And it happens right when Jesus is calling his first disciples. And he says to them, follow me. And then he describes himself to give them an idea of who they will be following. John chapter 1 verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, 
Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see even greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's quite a picture, isn't it, that Jesus paints of himself. The heavens are open. The angels are of God are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know where the picture comes from, many of you. He's referring to this story in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, and it's a story about Jacob. When the whole world was closing in around Jacob, remember Jacob, he had this older brother, twin brother, by the name of Esau. And Jacob tricked his brother Esau into selling him the birthright, and, and, uh, and he kind of stole the blessing that was reserved for the elder son, and as a result of all of that deception and all of that manipulation, J Jacob's relationship with his father Isaac and certainly with his brother Esau disintegrated to the point that Jacob knew that it wouldn't be safe for him to stay around home anymore. And his father Isaac's health was uh, failing and he was coming to his, the end of his life. And his brother Esau had determined in his heart, he said, you know, as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. And Jacob knew this. And so Jacob flees and he finds himself in the middle of nowhere and with only the clothes on his back and he's running and he's running and he's running and he's running and he finally stops enough, he falls asleep and in his sleep, God gives him a dream, a vision. We read it in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 19. Let me read it for you. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the right for the night because the sun had set and taking one of the stones there he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it there above stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. 
All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, how, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel though the city used to be called Luz. Jacob is, is on the run here. And he's out there in the middle of nowhere. He's tired, he's isolated, he's lonely. A rock pillow kind of tells the whole story, doesn't it? And God comes to him and he says, Jacob, you, you may be estranged from your family. You might think you're out here all by yourself, but... Look at what he says in verse 15. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And to reinforce this very personal connection, this personal relationship, God gives Jacob this vision of a stairway stretching all the way from heaven to earth with angels ascending and descending on it. And above the stairway stood the Lord God Almighty. Now, that's an epiphany. That's a pretty profound epiphany. The stairway has sometimes been called Jacob's Ladder. I, I don't think it gives us that a very accurate picture. When I think of a ladder, I, I think of the ladders on the West Coast Trail. I'm trying to convince your pastor Scott to go on the West Coast Trail with me this summer. He's doing it. He's signed up. There's a, I, I grew up in Japan and there's a saying in Japan that if you live in Japan and you never hike Mount Fuji, you're a fool. But if you climb it more than once, you're more of a fool. I guess if we put that on to Vancouver Island, if you live on Vancouver Island and you never hike the West Coast Trail, you're a fool. I've hiked it 24 times. I'm certifiably insane. <laughs> These ladders that are on the West Coast Trail, they're narrow and they're steep. And only one person is supposed to go on them at a time. Sometimes to save time when a hiker is reaching the top of the ladder, another hiker can start out at the bottom of that ladder as long as they're both going in the same direction. But here, this passage of scripture is talking about angels in the plural, and it says they're going in different directions. They're ascending and they're descending. So it obviously couldn't be a narrow ladder. It's a stairway. And Jacob gives us a clue to that fact when he says in verse 17, he says he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is, listen, he says, the gate of heaven. And when he says gate of heaven, he's, he's hearkening back 
to a failed human attempt to create a gate of heaven. In the story a few chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel, the word Babel means gate of heaven or the gate of the gods. And in that part of the world, people would build these temples called ziggurats. And I've got a picture if you'd show it there. This, it's a ziggurat, is, is a temple in the form of a pyramid. And up the side of the pyramid is this huge stone stairway to heaven. And it was a, this is a human attempt to bridge the gap between earth and heaven. But here in Jacob's dream, it's not a human attempt. The, the, the stairway is, is God-built. It has nothing to do with human effort. And it bridged the entire gap between heaven and earth. Okay, you can take the picture off now. Genesis 28, 12 says he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Doesn't say how many angels, but it's plural. And I'm judging from Jacob's response that it was an overwhelmingly impressive number because he uses this word, how awesome is this place? Another, another meaning of that, another translation of that would be how dreadful is this place or how, how overwhelming is this place? Uh, he's, I'm imagining that there were armies of angels there. When Jesus, remember when he was, Jesus was arrested, he brought up the fact that he could have called 12 legions of angels to rescue him. Remember that? You know how many 12 legions of angels are? 72,000 angels. So I'm picturing thousands and thousands of angels ascending and descending. Now you might be thinking, how in the world can they do that without bumping into each other? Because, you know, some of them are ascending and some of them are descending. I can only imagine, but I'm thinking that on that stairway, they've learned something from the pandemic and they've marked out some aisles. And there's one for ascending and one for descending and another for ascending and another for descending. And on those aisles, they've placed arrows tell you what direction you're supposed to go, just like it used to be at Costco or the grocery store <laughs> during the pandemic. And, and the great thing about this stairway is that to ascend and descend this stairway, the angels did not need to wait in line to use the acorn stairlift. <laughs> now, a few years ago when I retired from local church pastoral ministry, Immediately the pandemic hit and I had no choice but to stay home and watch Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> and the advertisements on Wheel of Fortune kind of show the demographic of the people that watched that show. And my favorite advertisement was the one for the acorn stairlift. Do you know, do you know about the acorn stairlift? There's this old sap standing next to his wife, proudly proclaiming, with the acorn stairlift, I, I feel like I'm the king of my own castle again. 
and then there's this woman riding the chair up the stairs and, and it shows this safety feature when the stair lift becomes obstructed by a toy that was, was left there by the grandson. It, the, the chair automatically shuts down. It comes to a screeching halt and it stops moving. It doesn't tell you how the person gets out of the chair to get the <laughs> toy out. Probably, I'm assuming that the person is stuck there until the fire department shows up. <laughs> but th thankfully, thankfully, the angels don't need to wait. Can you imagine having your assigned angel having to wait in line to ride the acorn stair lift? <laughs> These angels have wings. They're fleet of foot. And listen to this. They have unencumbered access to ascend to the very throne of the Lord God Almighty. And then they have unencumbered access to descend back to earth to attend to people. And what are they doing? They're ministering personally. Here in this story, they were ministering personally to Jacob. They're attending to his personal needs. How do I know that? Because that's what angels do. Remember after the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, it says that angels came and attended him. Matthew 4.11, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. The angels ministered to his need in his time of weariness, in his time of depletion Jesus saw heaven open and the angels attended him and they brought him replenishment and encouragement and strength Jesus saw heaven open and Jacob saw heaven open do you suppose that with everything that's going on in our world today that we might be able to see heaven open do you suppose by catching a view of an open heaven that we could experience God's restoring personal touch and that that touch would empower us and it would motivate us to be agents of healing to a very, very, very broken world. To make that happen, what would the angels need to bring you today? There's an old hymn us old-timers know it, Blessed Assurance, written by Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was a physically blind woman who had incredible spiritual vision. She describes it this way in that hymn. She says, Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above Echoes of mercy and whispers of love. I would imagine that some of you here this morning could stand to have some angels come and attend to you. You probably could stand to have them bring you a personal message from Almighty God who is standing above the stairway. And maybe they would bring you today the echoes of mercy and the whispers of love that your ears are longing to hear. 
the personal touch, the restoration of a relationship when things are broken down, when things are obstructed, when it seems like everything is closed, God says, you will see heaven open. You shall see heaven open. Can you see it? Are, are you starting to get that epiphany? Can you see the stairway? Could you use an echo of mercy or a whisper of love? What do you need for today? The reason I say today is because God's mercies are new every morning. We sang about it earlier today in that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. The prophet Jeremiah, from personal experience, in the midst of his hard times, he, he, he longed for God's great love and his compassions, and, and he says his mercies never failed. Lamentations, here's some echoes of mercy. Listen to this, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's mercy. That's mercy. We read it in Isaiah 40. A couple months ago, I preached from this passage. And I love these verses at the beginning of Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That's mercy. It's not justice, it's mercy. And then Psalm 103, verse 10 God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's mercy. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's mercy. We sang earlier, I'm calling on the God of Jacob. Well, I'm calling on the God of Jeremiah and Jacob and David and Zephaniah. Jesus says, you shall see heaven open. I love those words. The first picture that Jesus paints of himself as he calls his first disciples and he encourages them to embrace their new destiny is this is this picture. Nathaniel, he asked Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus says, well, I saw you sitting under the fig tree by yourself. And that's just mind-blowing to Nathaniel. That he says, this person knows me. He, he knows when I sit and when I rise, he saw me under a fig tree. I was by myself. And Nathaniel exclaims to him, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus says, oh, you like that one, did you? Well, let me tell you something. If you follow me, you find your destiny in me, and you will see even greater things than that. And then he added in verse 51 of John chapter 1, he says, I tell you the truth. You'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
this is what you're going to see. You will see heaven open. The angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. No need, no need for a ziggurat. No need for a stairway. We can try all we want to try to bridge the gap between earth and heaven. We could try to build a tower like they did back in Genesis chapter 11. We could sing songs about trying to climb that ladder. Remember, some of us old timers, when we go to camp, we would sing that song, I am climbing Jacob, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. Remember that? And there's this sense of struggle and effort. Every rung goes higher, higher, and soldiers of the cross. We could, you know, sing songs about trying to climb that ladder. We could sing the words of that other grand old hymn of the church that was made popular by Led Zeppelin, and she's buying a stairway to heaven. But you can't climb it. You can't buy it. Because the gap between heaven and earth is already bridged. The rift between God and humankind is restored. The personal connection, the relationship is insecured, is, is secured. In John chapter 1, Jesus looked at Nathaniel and one of the translations says, here's a man who is without guile. Can you imagine Jesus saying that about someone, about you? Here's a man who is without guile. And, and then he uses this illustration of, of a story from Jacob's life. And Jacob, his very name meant guile. He was the supplanter, the heel grasper, the, the deceiver. And what that tells me is that there's mercy for both the guilty and the guileless. Thank God for that. Do, do, do you want an epiphany this morning? Then, then please get this picture in your mind. A stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Because the stairway is Jesus. That's who he is. He's the one who opens up heaven. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. He's the one who brings heaven to earth. And upon him, ascending and descending are his heavenly messengers every day, assessing your needs, ascending to the heavens to tell our heavenly father what you need. And then descending from heaven to bring you new every day, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Do you feel that things have been kind of closed in on our world? That our world is full of dead-end streets? Everywhere you turn, it seems like there's a barrier or something's under construction. Would you like Jesus to open up heaven to you? To create for you and your circumstances an open door to heaven on, our, heaven on earth, to the supernatural invading the natural? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we look to you today. We thank you that you were the word at the beginning. You're the one with God, the Lord Most High. You brought heaven down to us. Thank you, Lord, for opening heaven to us, heaven on earth. And I pray that this morning, if there are those who need that special word of encouragement from you, that ministry from your heart, that we would today be able to receive those echoes of mercy and those whispers of love. We call on the God of Jacob today, the God of Zephaniah, the God of Isaiah, the God of David, the God of Mary. And we know as we sang earlier in our service today that you spoke to your children then and you're still speaking to your children today. We rest in that assurance today. Would you embrace us with your everlasting arms today and bring encouragement and comfort and salvation and healing and openness to us? We pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.